This is Omo. 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 Is this Yoko Omo? This is Omo. This episode of Omo is sponsored in part by House of Note Violin Shop in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. House of Note is a full-service violin shop serving the string community since 1959 with something for everyone. From fine rental instruments to restoration services and a fine selection of American-made violins in their showroom, this luthier-owned shop is here to service all levels of musicians. House of Note wishes everyone out there in the orchestra community the very best this year. Those of you who survived this year, may you thrive in the year to come. Visit houseofnote.com for more information or email info at houseofnote.com. Welcome to Omo Podcast, the umbrella under which all of us who identify with Omo Bono, the son of Antonio Stradivari, growing up under judgment of the most celebrated maker of our time. But at the end of the day, he was fine. He was just fine. We're an and umbrella we're, now? We're just fine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love an umbrella. A good umbrella? Protecting us from all the germs out there. Yeah. I'm your host, Rosie Deloach, coming at you from Richardson, Texas. Rosie! That is me. Joining me today is my wonderful co-host, Chris Jacoby, coming from Tacoma Park, Maryland. I don't live in Tacoma Park. I live in Berwyn Heights, Maryland. Berwyn Heights. All right. And the shop Potters is where? Is in Tacoma Park. Okay. Hi, Rosie. Hi. How you doing, Chris? You had to shut down Potters for a bit over there. Yeah, uh, overabundance of caution. Uh, we're all living in this world, you know. Yeah. Um, and the world's a little crazy. And uh, a positive test result came back for one of my employees that traveled to see family. Um, and my bosses, the owners, did all the right things. And uh, with that positive test result... Um, and there were members of my team that had been in contact with this individual. Um, and those people, of course, were in at the shop with us. Um, everybody got a test and we didn't see anybody from the public. Um, and people stayed home until we all got negative results. Uh, it's hard, you know, because uh, it's not just about a shop of our size, whatever size your shop is. We had no way to take income in for a week in order to try and keep everybody safe. It wasn't fun, and this is the second time it's happened, and uh, I just, I respect my bosses so much for doing the right thing. There are so many opportunities and so many examples, if not necessarily in our business, I'm sure there are, but not that I know of, but everywhere of uh, people just doing what they can to keep the money flowing in, and instead, uh, we have to deal with it the right way. Yeah, good. Good for you. And today was your day back on this Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah. What happened? Well, we double masked because thank you, Dr. Fauci. Okay. He's the OG. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, everybody who needed to come in this week was postponed until today. And as I was talking with my friend Anya Burgess, no relation, uh, thank yes. God. Yes. 
uh, about. Uh, Saturday is the day for for wild and crazies and for woolly walk-ins and and uh, you know warm mullen mittens. It's just it's Saturdays are already always nutty. Like crazy yeah. people come in and have crazy things to ask for, and uh, they just come out of the woodwork uh, because it's the weekend and want to talk about all the things they've ever heard about Grandpa's violin. And God, I uh-huh. love him for it. <laughs> well, speaking of Anya Burgess, no. we have we have the most delightful guest no. today. Is she here? She's here. Hello, Anya. Hey, y'all are too kind. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. We're glad you're here. And even though you have never been an official guest before, you have been a part of OMO so many times over the years. There's been several times where we've been doing a live recording. And if you're hearing the Cajun music in the background, that is Anya Mm -hmm. and her team. She did not get any royalties for that. We just, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) Working on that. Oh, Chris, can you give us a proper introduction of Anya? Well, Anya is the owner and proprietor. Um, I believe she has some partners, but of Sola Violins. And you're in Lafayette, right? That's right. Yep. In the state of? Lafayette, Louisiana. Gosh, I almost said it right. Um, And not only is that a a Cajun bastion, but uh, I mean, that's, that's a really strong American foothold for modern music. We, we often think of what we do, you know, violins and, and violin music being something older than that. But uh, there is so much great music in Louisiana. Yeah, uh, no doubt. I mean, you know, some would argue it's kind of like the the birthplace of American music, actually. You know, birthplace of jazz, definitely. Fantastic. But uh, yeah, we have a ton of great music here. Now, how old were you when you discovered that David Burgess was your father? <laughs> the secret's out. So, you heard it first here. I first met David at a, at an Oberlin restoration workshop a couple summers ago. It was it was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, we we have a lot of fun with that with that uh, shared name. Great. <laughs> you handled that well. My respect. But it's true. What you said is true. I, you know, when I kind of introduced myself to the group, I that's exactly what I said. I said, "My name is Anya Burgess. No relation, no thanks. Relation. No relation." <laughs> well, it was it was branded for me. I was in the room that day, I, so I that's your branding. But you're a member of the. You're, I'm sorry, you're a board member of the Violin Society of America right now. Is that right? Yep. Yep, that's true. Yep. Um, and I love to listen to play music. Yeah, I, I play a lot of music. Um, you know, in normal times, I, I'm, I play a lot of gigs. I'm playing two different bands locally, two different Cajun bands. Um, I, I mean, we play locally, a lot of festivals. We also travel, done a lot of really amazing trips overseas. Nice. And yeah, so in normal times, that's a big part of my life. It's just not so much recently, but yeah. I'm pretty involved in like the local music scene here. We have a really awesome, vibrant local music scene that is just so unique um to this area and and i'm definitely you know that's just a big part of my life yeah you have described this area as the root for cajun music yeah it definitely is i mean it's such one of the reasons this area is so unique is because we have this indigenous music culture 
that is basically, you know, within like an hour radius of my shop, that is where this music is lives, you know, that's where it's from. And, um, and it's, uh, you know, Cajun music is played worldwide, but this is where most Cajun musicians, uh, you know, are from. And it's, it's a really, it's like a living, vibrant folk culture. That's awesome. But it's not just played by, you know, like folkies, you know, the way some other music traditions are like, this is just yeah. Yeah. music. is kind of like, it's like water around here. People just live it and breathe it. Mm. You know? So, so yeah. speaking of water, can you please say the word bayou correctly for me? You just did, man. You did. All That's right. That's how you say it, yeah. yeah, and we live, actually, I, on the bayou. We live on a bayou, Tesh. So. Nice. This type of music comes from French ownership of, of the... Yeah. That's it. Go ahead, please. I'm, I'm just going to muck it up. and. Yeah, so that's basically it. I mean, the, the Acadians... Um, were people from France who ended up in Nova Scotia. Um, and so they were French, but when the English came in and, and started ruling the land up there, they, they basically kicked out all the French um, and put them on boats and transported them down like the East Coast. And some of them... As one does. Yeah, I mean, it was just crazy. It was like the, the Grand Arrangement. It was, it was when they all got kicked out of Acadia and they ended up in different port cities around the mostly the East Coast. And then the majority of them actually ended up down here. And that's why mm-hmm. you know, the word Cajun is uh, basically comes from Acadian. So, Acadian, okay. Yeah, they dumped them down here where it was like almost not even inha- inhabitable. I mean, it, it was inhabitable with just swampland, like just really, you know, hard climate, uh, heat, mosquitoes. I mean, it was just like where nobody else wanted to live. It's where they, they dropped off the biggest boatload of uh, French people. Wow. And I mean, the French culture here remains very strong. Um, I mean, that was like, you know, 300 years ago or whatever. But the, the French culture here has continued. And I think largely because this area has been so isolated over the years. Like it's so, mm-hmm. there's so much water uh, swampland and there weren't major highways that went through here until like, you know, 50 years ago. And so it's just remained like this little enclave of a uh, tr- very traditional culture. So it's, it's a hidden gem really. Like, I mean, a lot of people don't realize that people that, you know, that there are Americans who still speak French um, yeah, maybe not as yeah. their first language, but but very commonly, you know, their grandparents spoke it as a first language. So it's pretty cool. Interesting place. And, you know, you're you're so rooted there that I, I make the assumption that this was your birthplace. Yeah. But uh, you actually didn't grow up with this influence. Right. You grew up with a musical influence, but that was different. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I actually grew up outside of Boston. Um and you know, went lived there through high school. A Yankee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go figure. I mean, at that point, I knew nothing about like you know Cajun music or or Cajun life or anything. Um, I went to college in Maine, and then I and then I kind of finished out at Indiana University, where they have a violin making program. Oh, right on. Um, I pretty much stumbled into that program. Uh, I went to Indiana for folklore, but yeah. But then you created your own major. Yeah. Yeah, so I kind of like was able to to major in a I, I did a self-designed major that included folklore and violin making. 
and music. That's the stuff that I was interested in. I guess my path down here was, it was unrelated to music, ironically. I, I did the Teach for America program um, just to kind of get out of, you know, get out of the, the Northeast or, you know, Boston area and uh, was placed here. So when I, once I was here, yeah, there was, it was kind of like no going back. I, I've been here about 20 years. Oh, neat. Yeah. So. What years were you at the the Bloomington program? Were you there with with uh, Damien and Mark? Uh, I was there ninety seven to ninety nine. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, I was there with uh, like Derek Coons was there at the same time. He has a shop in uh, a couple shops in Florida. Um, right on. Yeah, it was it was a really cool program. I mean, not like the most intensive program available, but honestly. Uh, you know, it was great for me at the time because I wasn't all that. I, I honestly didn't think I was going to pursue like violin making as my career at that point. It was more just, wow, this is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Fun, you know. And then you fall into it. Yeah, yeah, definitely fell into it. So, I mean, once I got down here and, and uh, you know, started getting involved in the music scene, I just, I think it was, it was, you know, nobody else was doing violin work at the time. And uh, a couple of my friends, a couple of my friends, musicians were like, man, you've been to, you know, you've been through a music, uh, violin making program. Like, we need that work here. Like, why don't you, you know, see what see what comes of it if you uh, if you put out your shingle and, and start doing some repair work. And I mean, it started super small, you know. So how did you go from that from uh, from a few extra bucks to to help with your teaching to having this amazing shop with, uh, you know, the, the windows and it's been a long road. So started off on my dining room table, like finished up the teaching program. That was like two years. And then, um, and then, you know, started doing repair work on my dining room table. Um, and it just grew just word of mouth, honestly, that was like 18 years ago, I guess. And, yeah. uh, and so, I mean, I built it really slowly and at the beginning, even maybe a little reluctantly, like I didn't feel like I had, you know, a huge skill <laughs> set at that point. So I wasn't going to like undertake, I wasn't going to like get the word out far and wide um, and try to, you know, do all this complicated stuff. Cause I, I just didn't feel like I had the skills at that point. So I kind of like grew it as I feel, I felt more comfortable with my, uh, you know, with what I could do. And so it, I worked out of my house and then in a, in a shop in the backyard until about seven years ago when I, uh, that was like taking the leap to a, to a legit retail store in the middle of downtown. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what, that's what Soul of Islands is. Um, and, and even that, you know, started small and has grown, um, you know, over the years. You find yourself in need of more space and. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like started small and then kind of grew into a into a bigger space. So, yeah. So I mean, it's cool. It's, I'm comfortable with where it is right now. It's like just kind of a building it, building it process. You know, no pun intended. <laughs> you and I have talked about how we started something really small at our house about the same time, about 18 years ago. And I think it was the same year. Was it like 2014 for you yeah. going full retail? Same year for me. And, uh, I look back and I remember the versions of the business that used to just be me. And, and now that's, uh, grown to like, like, uh, like there's several parts of me that have 
gone into different facets and now there's other people working around me. Um, tell me about your experience developing that over the years. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that was probably like the hardest, the most intimidating part of um, growing the business was, you know, I'd spent all these years, everybody just knew me, um, you know, connected the whole business with just me. And then just as I started thinking about everything that was going to be required of actually having a storefront um, beyond just like the luxury work, I thought, oh my God, you know, this is, God, yeah. it's just so much. And I, 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 that's, you know, I started small, I, I figured out, you know, the accounting and the bookkeeping. I wanted to know everything before I started to outsource and delegate. Mm-hmm. So those mm-hmm. first few years were just like, I mean, just such a haul because I was learning about inventory and dealer relationships and, uh, you know, social media and, you know, all the tax implications. I mean, just so much stuff. And, um, and I, you know, I wanted to have, I wanted to have like a pretty good knowledge of all that, um, before delegating. And so I'm glad, ultimately glad that I did it that way. But when I was able to like pass some of that off to other folks, um, it, it just, yeah, it's, it's so much better. (laughs) Yes. I feel like what you're describing is the best way. I mean, I would hire you to give a class to people exiting violin making schools about like feel your way out and don't jump into a large space and think that you need a recital hall and think that you need this and that and go for broke with visibility before you, I mean, I, I, I don't know, as a teenager, I skateboarded a lot and you better learn how to Ollie before you, get on the ramp like uh, uh my respect to you for that that's yeah uh it feels better when you when you shared it too <laughs> yeah definitely yeah no i was definitely like i think it's in the business world it's called the lean start you know just like really start mm-hmm. small uh, uh the yeah. pilot store basically like my first store was like maybe 350 square feet um just to see if it was gonna work out and uh mm-hmm. And so, and that just also, I mean, I've all, you know, not that I've like tiptoed every step of the way, like that's, that, that's not true, but you I've, stomp. yeah, I've like, <laughs> kind of measured pace, you know, <laughs> rather than like taking on everything. It was like, okay, I just want to get good at this, then move on and get good at this, and then, you know, so mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's been good. Uh, we've also joked about uh, how you are allergic to the word business. Oh yeah. 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 Tell, tell us a bit about running something you're allergic to. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess, fortunately, I'm not allergic to that word anymore. But man, like, you would have told me, you know, when I was in college that I was going to be going to business, like, no, such a musician. No, way. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, I started college at a liberal arts school and only took like, humanities courses. I mean, I, I had absolutely like no interest even in, in like nothing finance or business or marketing. I mean, I just had like a, an aversion to all of that. I couldn't even uh, grasp thinking about signing up for something like that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I guess I've, I, I remember, I actually have a vivid memory of like the first time somebody called me a, a, a business person. 
Like, oh, this is Anya. She has her own And the disgust you had. (laughs) It's like, that's me? Oh, my God. But uh, I got over it. I got over it. And now, actually, I I mean, geez, I I guess I just had like a really big misconception about about business, you know? I didn't come from a family of business owners or any of that, so... But uh, man, it's fun. Like you get to just create your own reality and create your own scene, your own world. And, you know, like I've never wanted to follow anybody else's rules. I mean, never. I mean, that's so now I'm like with my profession, I can just kind of create the scene and the the store and the the community that I, you know, that I want. So, yeah. I'm just over here nodding my head, just saying yeah. same, 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 same. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. yeah. No, I, yeah. I had a great moment with uh, with my friend Elizabeth Vandevierschock, who uh, is the owner of Mount Airy Violins and Bows in Philly years ago. I, I, I went to visit her and, and was having lunch with her. And she said that she was looking around one day um, with her college degree at a friend's shop where her friend fixed instruments and People just came in the door and paid for strings and paid for repairs and checked in with her and uh, went back out the door and there was money in the shop at the end of it. And she thought, well, I want that. And yeah. like, I, I grew up with, it's, it's so nice, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I grew up with, my parents were both teachers and uh, you make money through, uh, through ineffable inexplicable things, you know, right. and, and for Elizabeth, it was the same with me. It was, it was just like, that sounds great. Like you, you put yourself yeah. on the table, you have these skills and, uh, that pays the bills. You're not, yeah. you're not seeking some, uh, long winded way about it. So you're a businesswoman, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean the, the idea of like doing, like having a very tangible relationship with what you're earning and what you're doing and, you know, uh, just leaving your mark in a very tangible way, I guess too, is that's, that's pretty cool. I like that. And you built from word of mouth, which means that people like the work that you do. So there, there's a nice, uh, reassurance there too. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's been, I mean, honestly, that's probably been like the, the, the best market. I mean, I think in general for anybody, that's the best marketing, but, um, you know, like with the Cajun music scene, I mean, it's, it's a very vibrant scene. Um, and it's, it's a pretty big scene, but it's also like, you know, everybody, if, if you play music in this scene, like people know each other. And so word gets around, you know, everybody. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, I mean, before I knew it, I was, I was working on instruments, uh, you know, of, a, of real professional players, um, in the Cajun music scene. And then, and then the, the classical side of our business, which is equal at this point, equal, if not more, uh, to the, the traditional music side that came later. Um, I find, I find yeah. that, you know, that scene is, it was, a, was, it took a little more time to kind of like enter that world. And, uh, it's, I guess people are, you know, I, I was I was so like embedded into the Cajun music scene that that like that that was my world for so long that um you know just kind of developing connections with the with the Suzuki teachers and the uh, and the you know, symphony players and all that like that's that's an ongoing just relationship build that that we do. It's an eventuality. But, uh, it's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. Now you 
you have told me that it was always your goal to treat folk musicians and classical musicians equally. Yeah. And that ended up giving you an edge in your region. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like... I can't imagine it any other way here. And and this may be Yeah, how hard is that concept? Like it's yeah. it seems it seems alien when you say it out loud, but it's so simple. They're yeah. musicians. Yeah. Oh my god, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I just I grew up more playing classical music. Actually, my fa- that's kind of my more my family background. I I got kind of pulled into the traditional side of things uh, later on. But I mean, I've always just loved like all music, you know? So I, I, um, it's, it was always my goal from the get go with, with, especially like once I opened the retail store was to make it just everybody feel like this is their violin shop. This isn't down to like, I, I wanted, you know, even the walking in the feel when you walk in, I wanted it to be kind of, down to earth, you know, we have a lot of like cypress wood, um, uh, furniture, but also have a touch of class, like not a touch of class. It's also, it's also very classy. We have, you know, oriental rugs and that kind of thing, but it has, you know, it's all class. Yeah. I just was real deliberate about wanting everybody to feel comfortable. Like it wasn't too, uh, too classy for my Cajun friends and it wasn't too down home for my classical friends, you know, (laughs) like walking the fine line. Yeah. And I love that about the business. Honestly, you know, the the times when uh like the in under normal circumstances when there's different people in the store, um you know, we have some real like excellent symphony players coming in to to pick up a, you know, some strings or whatever and then you have like really incredible Cajun musician in at the same time and they get to talking and you know it's like just bringing those worlds together that just that's just so cool you know you think maybe they wouldn't have met otherwise you know yeah great it's great uh so we've clearly had a very different year yeah you have said that yeah (laughs) that the the challenges of 2020 brought about some good long-term changes for you, you personally. Sorry, <laughs> Not for Chris. Sorry. No, no things, are, things, things are fine. I just had, I was breathing. Uh, talk, uh, us, yeah. talk us through how you started doing things differently. Um, yeah, so, you know, like everybody, we shut down for a couple months, um, May, or sorry, March to May. Um, but then when we kind of started getting back into to be actually being in the store, um, slowly, um, and not wanting too many people in the store at once. I'm talking about employees. We just, everybody's schedule changed. Um, and so Mm -hmm. prior to all this, I had been going in basically every day of the week. I mean, I'd even find an excuse to be there on a Sunday half the time. Honestly, it was, it was just kind of getting ridiculous. (laughs) It's like uh, over, overdoing it. And, um, so when the pandemic hit and I, I, I really kind of moved my operation back to my house, I have a shop behind my house. So, um, mm-hmm. and just kind of reestablished my relationship with my shop at home, um, started doing more building, kind of working on some projects that have been on the back burner and just like, wow, man, I, I love my shop at home. I've totally neglected it these past five years. So basically what it turned out to be is that I was able to shift my schedule to where now I'm only going into the, into the store, like 
three or four days a week. Um, like three technically, but it often happens before. And then I have the other days to be at home. And uh, it's allowed me to like take a lot of the more like technical projects where I need more um, focus time and work on those at home, um, you know, rather than trying to just be totally stressed out and not efficiently working on them at the store um, while I'm trying to multitask and, uh, you know, do rentals and all this other <laughs> sales and all this yes. other stuff. So it's just allowed me to kind of like allocate my time differently. And I, I see that as, as a permanent change on his, honestly, like I, I've kind of handed over the reins a little bit more to my employees of like handling. Good for you. Know, you. Or, yeah. And step back and, and it's, man, it's worked out. Like that was, I was fearful of that. You know, it's always hard to kind of like let go and, and, and let somebody else uh, be the yeah. face of the business, but man, you got to do that. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I've, I've had a lot of the same stuff, uh, moved my, at least my rehairs back home Yeah, and just, Having that time where um, I am not being uh, asked a question by a customer or a beloved, wonderful employee, or yeah. the phone is ringing, or I have to order some things, uh, just having time to do something start to finish, yeah. is, I do a better job. Yeah, definitely. Nice. So, I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. And you've been able to, you know, start a violin project and um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean that that's that type of like the focus to to work on something like that just isn't possible when you're you're in the middle of a retail situation. So yeah. That's okay. that's a hard thing too is having uh, there's a a creative energy bar that gets worn down by curbside and customer interaction where I mean I can't scrape or do varnish touch up or do purfling well if I have been working for three days just doing, you know, epoxying rental necks. And uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I can't do it. And it's not, I mean, it's not a matter of, of the actual will to do it. It's uh, that there is only so much good creative energy available for the right projects if you're doing everything else. It, it, a lot of it's admin, as both of you know, like admin saps my will to be the artist I wanted to be the reason yeah. why I'm at the bench. It's uh, and it's, it's a necessity, but uh, I, I respect both of you for finding ways to delegate that and having people that you have acted right enough in your business lives that when yeah. you trust them, it's, it's backed up. Good for you. Yeah. Oh, and it's yeah. magic finding those people. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, I'm so grateful. I yeah. have some awesome, awesome folks. So, but yeah, I mean, there's just nothing like it. I mean, I love, I love both sides. Like I love the, the customer interaction and kind of that energy is so awesome and fun, but I also equally love just being by myself in my shop um, just focus on my own, my own project. And, uh, for so many years, honestly, this was like, it was such a struggle. Like I, I wasn't building anything. I was constantly guilty about it, you know, cause I knew. Yeah. Right. You beat yourself up about it. Oh God. It's just like, oh, because people would say, oh, you're a violin maker. Like, 
what are you working on? And I was just like, oh. Taxes. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you, buddy. I'm pouring more string. Thank you. Yeah. I almost just wanted to like take violin maker off of my, like out of the conversation. Cause I just didn't mm. want to talk about how I was not building anything and I hadn't been for a couple of years. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, no, the pandemic has been good in that respect. I, I finished a violin, started another one, you know, I mean, I, it, ultimately it just kind of caused me to reflect on my schedule and realize that, uh, that I was just spending too much time in my, in my shop, in my retail shop. <laughs> I need to let go. Nice. So, yeah. The best repair I ever did was somebody came to me with the scroll broken off of Yola de More in such a way that I had to fit a domino between the two halves of a spiral fractured scroll so that the domino fit into four mortises, two each on either side of the peg box, and it sunk together when twisted back together. Um, The worst repair I ever did was the very first violin I got. I tried to fix the varnish, ended up scraping the varnish off with an X-Acto <laughs> knife and then drawing a naked lady on it <laughs> and refinishing it <laughs> That's good. So now that you've, you've known my glory and my shame, what are the best and worst repair jobs you think you've done at Sola Violins? Oh Lord, a you've, you've set the bar pretty high, but um, and pretty low, and l- high and low. It wasn't even a, it wasn't a great drawing. Yeah, I might be able to beat you up on that one. But um, one of the coolest projects I did was a, a instrument that had been damaged from uh, uh, being in a museum that ha- had a roof leak, um, and Oof. it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't in a case or anything. It was it. It wasn't in a. What I'm saying is like an a, a acrylic case. It was in its Yeah. Um. So yeah. it got okay. direct uh, water damage from this drip. Um. And it w- happened to be a very like intricately um, detailed, uh, decorated, I should say, violin with um, you know, black white edging around it, mm-hmm. uh, and then the back was all this marquetry um, that depicted uh, the Vatican in Rome. Oh, very cool. St. Peter's Basilica and all the stuff. And I mean, it's really a beautiful instrument, not that tacky, cheap, uh, decorated instrument. I'm Check not talking stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not talking about that. This was like a, this was done by like one of the early Acadians. Like he basically got this violin and did all this amazing marquetry work. And anyway, it's connection to the community and to the, to the museum and the cathedral and all that. They brought it to me, um, and it, it was missing a whole bunch of inlay on the edge, mm-hmm. and a lot of the varnish on the back was was uh, damaged, and um, and then it also it just hadn't been seen in, in probably decades. So that was a really cool project. We did like a, a concert when it was finished, and this big ceremony, and you know, it's like one of those kind of like community projects, really. Like a lot of people were kind oh, of invested in it. Uh, because of its connection to the to Lafayette and all that, so that was cool. Nice. And then I also I continue to go visit that violin. Like I'm sort of the you know quote unquote caretaker of it, so they they want me to go check on it, and so it's kind of like my little buddy. <laughs> um, <laughs> the worst repair I've ever done. This is like super. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> when I when I first started out, and the, you know, this is like twenty years ago, I was just kind of doing everything. So somebody would call me about whatever a harp one time. I I I restrung a harp and kind of fixed one of the arms. You know, just random stuff. A lot of guitar fretted stuff. Um, because I did have a little bit of experience with that. Luckily, I had worked in a music store, the Music Emporium in uh, in Arlington, Mass. And and so I had some, okay. had some experience with fretted stuff. But anyway, some guy called me about a hurdy-gurdy. And uh, because I was just like saying yes to anything, he brought it over. Um, it had that the top of this instrument was made up of like eight pieces that were like... Uh, you know, laminated together side by side. Yeah. And I think a couple of them had come apart. And so I, um, you know, glued them, glued this, this part back together and then needed to do some retouch because I probably like leveled it because it wasn't totally aligned or I don't remember that detail, but what so I you sanded the hell out of it. I probably <laughs> did. I, yeah. I remember is that I used oil varnish for the retouch of this thing. I put it outside. So because the oil, you know, I thought, well, I need to cure this oil. And the whole thing, yeah. after like a couple of hours, like the whole thing started just delaminating. <laughs> you put it out in Louisiana. Like summertime, like degree direct sun. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was it was it was it was amazing. Yeah. So That's then you know horrifying. Totally horrifying. Oh my God. On a hurdy gurdy. Thank you. Like, Thank you for letting us know oh about God. your. I mean, that is public service to murder a hurdy gurdy. No one needs that in their parish. <laughs> and then, you know, you have to call the customer. It's just like, oh, how mortifying. I is that? killed your hurdy gurdy. And I'm not sorry. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was my first and last hurdy-gurdy experience. <laughs> it's horrible. I think he actually picked it up and, uh, and, and had to send it back to the maker. And I'm not even kidding about that. I was trying Ouch. to remember how this whole thing resolved. And I don't think I resolved it. I think he picked it up and actually had to, like, take it to, you know, like, send it back to who made it. <laughs> Oh no. Yeah, I learned I learned a lot about what to say no to. Yeah, we've all been there. Well, and maybe like whenever these worst stories come up, like being experienced enough to put boundaries down is hard because you want yeah. people to like you and you you mm -hmm. you want to be able to work on everything. And I say no to stuff way more than when I didn't have the skills. That is true. <laughs> That I, honestly, that's like one of the best lessons that you know. I think you learn with the, with time is is you gotta you gotta you, you know you have to focus on on a certain segment of of work to become a, a specialist at it. You can't just say yes to everything. So uh, yeah, so yeah, it was a relief when I realized you know what I don't have to work on fretted stuff and I I don't have to work on stuff I'm not comfortable with. You know, it's just like focus on this and get good at this. So. Yeah. If there was one thing, Anya, that you could tell a younger luthier that wanted to start a shop that was connected to their community and have an anchor that way to be successful, what would those three things be? And how would those five things change as say. they got older until they turned <laughs> seven? 
<laughs> it becomes 10 things. Yeah. Hey, you picked that right up. Let's see. I mean, we, you know, like our shop exists in the middle of a, of a downtown area. So we're not like a house out, out, you know, on the outskirts of town or anything like that. Like we just buy, buy where we are, like our location, we are pretty connected to, um, you know, the downtown of Lafayette, which is an arts, an arts area, arts and culture, um, zone, you know? So we participate in, you know, like monthly art walks and that kind of stuff. And, and that helps just get the word out as well. Um, but I don't know. I think like just reaching out to teachers helps a lot. Um, just being really, you know, as giving as possible, like I'm always offering like, Hey, you know, I'd love to under normal circumstances, come into your class and talk about violins and violin making and instruments. And cough on everyone. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Don't cough yeah. on people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not happening right now, but just, yeah, I think if you want to be part of your community, you just have to make an effort. You have to reach out to people and and be you know super giving and and offer things for free as much as you can. I'm talking about like just uh, like presentations and that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, time and effort. Yeah, it's not about yeah. kickbacks. It's about being present. Yeah, and just being consistent, you know. And um, right I mean, on. we do a lot of work with schools too, like purchase orders and that kind of thing. And that's that's a nice um kind of cash flow into the business and that is all you know though like teachers can just as easily go online and do a purchase order through you know one of the major retailers but if they know that you fiddler man or yeah i mean any of those you know companies but like if they know that you are gonna go the extra mile and find them like the best stuff for the price and you know work on their behalf with their budget and i mean that's um it's that's it that's you know, they they will they will usually want to go local. You know, it's just if you make it yeah. easy for them. This yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah, Anya, what do you see for the future of solo violence? Gosh, the future of solo violence. I mean, it's like I feel like it's just starting in a way. So like the future is just like it's so open. Um, we, we, you know, the business is like a very regional business. It's not just one one town or one community. So I guess I see you know, continuing to reach out to just more parts of the state. You know, we're in an area that just doesn't have a lot of other violin shops in a whole region, honestly, like a lot of, you know, a lot of our neighboring states also don't have a lot um, of access to professional work and stuff like that. So just continuing to, to try to reach out and, and see who needs, you know, who needs our, our, our help and uh, how, you know, how we can, how we can just get more people playing music. I mean, that's always been my goal in life is like, let's get more people, playing good instruments, enjoying music, exposed to all the, all the gifts that music gives, you know. There's kind of a, a surprising dearth of shops in the, the wet South, in the coastal yeah. South. I mean, oh, it, it's, it, yeah. it, it's very strange. There are a few shops in Florida, but there, yeah. I mean, there's six States with a, uh, your shop and two others where, where, and, and, and not as a judgment call at all, but where people are doing above the level of receiving instruments and putting them out for sale with the setup as is, or doing the music and arts way. Um, and I, I don't get it. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's just a reality, but I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, 
in the whole state of Louisiana, there's maybe, you know, there's a, there's, there's probably not as many shops as I can, uh, you know, fit on one hand. In other words, five or less. Um, And then you look, you know, you look to Mississippi. I don't think there's a single shop in Mississippi. Then you go a little bit farther east of Alabama. You know, there's, there's not a lot over there either. It's, it's wild. Yeah. My, my family was in Omaha and Lincoln for a few years and there are seven shops in those combined municipalities of a million people. Wow. Seven shops at, at the, at, at a level, you know, that, that we like to see where you can recommend the work to people. I just, yeah, it's a, it's yeah. nutty. Yeah. Yeah. I had somebody come over today from Biloxi, Mississippi, which is like three, three and a half hours away. And yeah. we were like, wow. Yeah. It's so wild. Yeah. You like give them a gallon of water with their strings. Be safe. <laughs> I, know. I know, man. Yeah. Yeah. But so, yeah, I guess that's, you know, there's just a lot, a lot more ground to cover if, if we can handle it. Um, I right guess on. like, if you, if, you know, every, anytime you think about growing the business, there's more than just like, than just growing the business. It's about like, can you, ha- you know, can you handle, are you going to have to hire more people to handle more work? And what's the sweet spot? You know, I mean, I'm pretty, honestly, I'm pretty happy with like the four people we have in the shop and the amount of work that we do. And it's just really comfortable. So thinking about growing it is like, right okay, how much do you want to, uh, you know, do you want to take on more, more hires and all that, that kind of stuff? It changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anya. You're amazing, and oh. I'm glad you exist, and I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. <laughs> Me too. This was super fun, y'all. Anya Burgess, no relation. Thank God. <laughs> May Louisiana take you safely to your home. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Oma was an all-luthier podcast, produced by Rosie Deloach, Chris Jacoby, and Jerry Lynn. The show is edited by Jason Peoples, music by Invoke Sound. If you enjoy our show, you can help us out by leaving an iTunes review or becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash omopod, where you can get your very own Omo swag. We'd love to hear from you, so reach out to us at mail at omopod.com or call the Omo phone at 240-686-5345. Thanks for listening. <laughs>